0: Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. Your virginity is valued. And that's what I was taught. Is like my value
1: lies in my purity. And if I have my purity, I have everything and if i don't have it i have nothing i have nothing to give who would who would want you if you don't have your purity specifically within this true love waits purity culture movement it was about pledging your virginity and your purity to your dad because he is essentially the holder of your purity to give that to your future husband at the altar someday. Mm -hmm. But at these purity balls, the girls would get dressed up like a bride and the dad would escort them. A lot of these would have like ceremonies where you would um, sign these purity contracts. But even little girls signing... Contracts saying that like, you're going to remain pure until marriage. Again, when you don't even know what any of those words mean, you probably right. can't even read yet. <laughs>
0: Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're only listening and you want to see our faces, go to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness, where you can like, you can subscribe, guys. We're so close to a 1,000 supporters not a thousand 100,000 supporters and I'm so (laughs) excited if you haven't subscribed it would just be so awesome if you could do that become an advocate for these people who are coming on and bravely sharing their stories and also commenting helps the algorithm leave those words of encouragement here for our guests it's so awesome this community that we've been able to build together so today's guest you all love her I love her too she's been on before (laughs) where we talked all about the horrific book to train up a child it uh we didn't realize the reach that it would have and how many people would be relating to it in the comments it's really truly a heartbreaking story but also so incredibly inspiring and we wanted to bring her back and talk more about the dangers of extreme christian fundamentalism when it comes to purity culture i know this is a touchy subject guys but we're gonna explain ourselves in detail as to why we don't agree with it so thank you so much for coming back kendra bryan
1: Thank you, Shalise and Jonathan. Thank you guys so much for having me back on. I was so excited when you invited me to come back and be a guest again. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, you just killed it last time. And you're also blowing up on social media. I think Already, when we first interviewed interviewed you, we're like, "Yeah, you had ten thousand subs or followers on Instagram, and now you have thirty thousand, and now today you have one hundred and twelve thousand followers." So, yeah, it's been so crazy. clearly people yeah. want to hear what you have to say, and you do have a lot of great things to say. So, guys, you can go follow her on Instagram at the Kendra Lee. No, the Kendra B, right? The Kendra B on Instagram. Yes. And she's starting her own YouTube channel. So go give her a sub. She's about to put a whole bunch of juicy content up there. And her YouTube is at Kendra Lee Bryan. We'll link everything below, guys. But definitely go follow and support Kendra there. So we have a lot to cover. We are going into purity culture. And I know some people are just like, what do you want? Everyone just to have sex with everyone? (laughs) No, that's not what we want at all. And we're going to explain. But first, let's just talk about what purity culture is and why we think it's damaging. So Kendra, in your experience, you grew up in like a family cult within extreme Christian fundamentalism. You were going to a very specific church that had very specific rules, and we'll get into all of that. So in your experience, what was purity culture like?
1: Purity culture is a deeply conservative movement that really focuses on maintaining abstinence until marriage, but more so than just abstaining. It heavily focuses on removing any type of temptation, whether that's thought or hand-holding or... Masturbation, anything along those lines that could be perceived as a carnal desire is mm. absolutely forbidden. So not only is it forbidden, but to break your purity before marriage meant that you were further away from God, that you were impure and undesirable and you know, basically, it was compared to a used piece of chewing gum.
0: Yeah. Wait, you had that too? We had that. Yeah. What? No. Yeah, we had a used piece <laughs> of chewing gum, and they would actually oh. show us. So we had lessons yes. in church where they would, like, who wants a piece of gum, and then they chew it and be like, who wants it now? Like, they would literally right. show Nobody us what it, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, and they would do the licked cupcake analogy. Uh, There's a whole I bunch. I that one.
1: Or the one where they would spit in a jar. Did y'all ever do the the Ew, spit in the jar what? one?
0: No. Yeah. So in
1: our youth. Yeah, in our youth group we would have um they would line up probably like five or six six kids and have like a jar and have the first four or five kids spit in the jar and then the last one would get up there and they would say, Do you want to drink out of that jar? (laughs) I know, I'm so sorry. (laughs) We'd be like, No, we don't want to drink from the jar. They're like, Well, every time you give yourself away before marriage, you're basically diluting yourself with other people's sins. You know, and they use the spit and saliva as, I guess, a metaphor for that. But so yeah, it was, that's how, that's how they view anything less than your total entire virginity is you're basically a jar with everyone's spit and disgust in it. So yeah. Yeah. Good times.
0: Now (laughs) I also want to point out that. This could be a good analogy if you were teaching children about STDs, which is very important. So the distinguishing factor here is one of them makes you feel like A disgusting piece of crap. And the other one Mm -hmm. is showing you this is what happens when you have sex with multiple people and they have sex with multiple people, which I think is useful because it's not layered in guilt and shame. So we're going to talk more about the education part in a little bit. But as far as further defining purity culture, kind of what I just mentioned is it's really based around someone's worth And usually it's heavily, heavily, heavily focused on the women and how a woman's purity is her end all be all. And if you're not pure, no one's going to want to marry you. And if if a man stumbles, right, it's your fault. It's the woman's fault for doing that. And I also I think this is a, a good time to point out that we will be speaking in very binary terms simply because what we're speaking about is how these churches are teaching it, because there is no room in these churches for any sort of LGBTQ plus person or transgender person. It is very, very specifically built for the traditional man and woman together. So I just want to point that out. We're not trying to be exclusionary here. We just want to talk about the ways in which they would present the information to us. So, having said that, it's usually the woman's fault for making the man stumble. The man's purity is all on the woman's shoulders. What was she wearing? Uh, Was she inviting him in somehow? Was it a gaze? I mean, learning about the Amish culture, I have just been shocked at some of the things that would make a man stumble. Like even just having your hair down or showing your elbows because an elbow could look like a boob. I kid you not. These are things that are going on and it's just it gets so extreme so what are some of the things that they would consider stumbling blocks in your upbringing
1: yeah so uh, there's a lot of crossover with that i guess with the amish because we were taught a lot of the same things it was like you know not even wet hair as a woman you couldn't have wet hair around a man because somehow that would make him think about you getting out of the shower um (sighs) i'm trying to think of course the the skirts had to go down to the ground you didn't want to show any ankle definitely no midriff of course uh no collarbone definitely no collarbone so if you look at a lot of fundamentalist girls like how we were raised where everything is always layered so we might be Mm -hmm. wearing a jumper but there's going to be at least one or two shirts underneath going all the way up to here to you know cover everything even things like riding horses or playing volleyball, things, outdoor things, we always had to wear really long skirts or culottes. I don't know if anyone What's else ever had to wear culottes. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> Please explain.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hate them so much. We even had to swim. And when we go swimming, we had to wear, um, culottes and double t-shirts and a bra and everything. Um, you know, cause you, you have to remain modest, but a culotte is basically, how do I describe this? It's like a, like a capri pant but more like a bloomer bloomer. it's like a bloomer and a capri pant so like at first glance it just looks kind of like a skirt and a lot of them would have like the flap going over so on the front it definitely looks like a skirt but your legs have like i guess a little more uh individuality (laughs) than it does in a skirt but um by no means more modest technically because when you're doing activities and things those those things come up (laughs) skirts come up (laughs) It would have been it honestly would have been more modest to probably wear pants, but uh, we weren't allowed pants, obviously, because that would ins- uh, accentuate uh, your curves and in, in some way. And wow. that's more of a sin. So. Um, so, yeah, definitely very strict.
0: That is pretty extreme.
1: Yeah, we definitely had to wear them while swimming any type of outdoor activity no pants ever
0: that actually sounds really dangerous swimming in full-on pants and t-shirts like I, f- I feel like it would weigh you down and I know this because <laughs> yeah. I was given what I call the shame shirt at a girls camp because my midriff was showing about this much and they were like I can't believe you would wear something so immodest and then they gave me this big old t-shirt to swim with because my midriff was showing at an all-girls camp the shame shirt <laughs> yeah. is that what Good. they called it no, that's what I called it because it. Well, cause that's what it was. Yeah. I call it the shame shirt and I called the shame shirt, um, the same thing when we were in school and they would, uh, <laughs> they would call us out for being quote, immodest. So we didn't have nearly as many rules as you did. And I got to go to public school. You were homeschooled. It's a big difference there already. But when you're in a school and you are called out for something that's immodest, You just feel the public humiliation and shame because they put you in the school t-shirt that's like four sizes too big and you have to walk around school like that. So everyone knows, um, she was being immodest, and that's why she's in the school t-shirt. that's a shame shirt. That's humiliating. It is. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. So So the only rules we had with modesty were you couldn't show your shoulders, so this shirt wouldn't be okay. You had to have like no cleavage, absolutely no cleavage, but it didn't have to be clear up to your neck. You could have something mm. that was like bearish. And also, <sighs> speaking of body shaming, which we're going to talk about later too, um, if you had bigger boobs, you're going to have cleavage, like unless you were literally yeah. wearing a turtleneck. Yeah. And so, it depended on your shape. If you were blessed in the chest, then there were a lot of things you couldn't wear that your friend could just because she had smaller boobs. So no shoulder showing. We had to do the fingertip test where if you stood up and you put your arms down, if your shorts or your skirt was shorter than that, you would be made to change. I got shamed so many times for stuff like that. And I'd be like shrugging my shoulders just a little bit. And also it was a skirt. It wasn't even a skirt so i'm like there's shorts under this and i still got in trouble but oh my gosh actually this is this might be the perfect time to tell this little story and then we'll move on i want to hear it i want to hear it so one of the times i had to wear the shame shirt (laughs) was (laughs) i was doing a school talent show and as a dancer me and my friend tia made up a little dance and we went and got matching shirts and It was like a baseball shirt, the three-quarter length, and on it, it said All-Star, and then the number of the shirt was 69. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Let me just say... Our parents bought it with no big deal, which makes me think, (laughs) did they even know what 69 meant? I don't know. I digress. We'll ask mom later. But anyway, we bought these shirts because they were matching. And so we put them on. We went and changed. We put them on for the talent show. We did our little jig. And then our way on our way back, we were uh, walking into the bathroom to go put on our other clothes again changing back into our regular clothes yeah and we were grabbed violently out of the bathroom by the arm by the vice principal and she was like how dare you wear something so provocative and we're looking at our clothes no clue we're also in seventh grade (laughs) like why would we know that anyway so we're like i don't understand it's a long sleeve it's three-quarter length sleeve it's a high neck. It's a low, but yeah, yeah. And we're just like, huh? And she goes, "It's in the handbook." And my friend, I love her to death. She goes, "I don't read." <laughs> and I was so confused and she was like you're coming to the office right now and she was like dragging us to the office everyone's looking at us like what did they do wrong and she made us put on the shame shirt and I was like we literally have other clothes that we were about to change into and she wouldn't let us put them on so we were humiliated we get back into class and everyone was like why did she make you change and we're like I don't know. And then someone was like, it's because their shirt said 69. And I'm like, and? <laughs> I still How was that different no. from 70 other than I a digit? I did like... not know what that meant. Oh. But now the whole class is talking about it. So thanks no. to her... Now everybody is getting in on what 69 means. Which wouldn't have been a thing if she would have let us change into our other clothes. Oh, my mom was furious. She love her so much. At you, at you or the teacher. Oh, at the teacher. She went in and just reamed her. She was like, show me in the handbook where it says da-da-da-da. And now, thanks to you, the whole class knows what 69 means. And she just like, she made her apologize, and it was just so beautiful and oh oh, that had to feel so good it was very vindicating but also not everyone has parents who would be willing to do that because it could have easily been put on me like why would you wear something so provocative i didn't know it goes back to the education thing but anyways there is so much shame and guilt that is layered on purity culture that is so harmful especially to young girls who don't even really understand it because one, no one has told them. And two, it's so taboo that no one wants to talk about it. And it just leaves room for so much body shame, dissociation Mm -hmm. from your body, those girls who were blessed in the chest, feeling ashamed. I don't want to have these. Why am I cursed with these? Why did God put this in my way so men could stumble? It's just the list goes on and on and on.
1: Especially when those things are taught even before puberty. So it's like you start learning how to be ashamed of your own existence mm-hmm. before you, like you said, before you can even comprehend what puberty is or yeah. what boobs are or what any bodily changes that might take place in the future. But you're like three, four years old being taught that how you look and how you dress, like you're responsible for men's sins. Right. And that what an enormous pressure to put on on a child who should just be able to be a child. Like, let them play and do child things and not be worried about the responsibility on their tiny shoulders. But it, it is that way, unfortunately.
0: And speaking of little children and purity, you did a reel, which was great, about these purity contracts that these children were signing. And I think even more disturbing than everything that you were saying were the pictures that I saw. And I'll put some of those pictures on screen because they just made me feel so uncomfortable. So if you could- Yeah, they make me feel gross. (laughs) If you could talk about what that is and explain to everyone what's going on.
1: Yeah, so back in the early 90s, there's this big movement that started called True Love Waits. And it kind of really got some momentum after the scandal with Bill Clinton and all of that. So you know, a lot of the conservative- dads decided, hey, we need to do something to protect our daughters, right? Or at least that was the messaging the that was presented. Sure, it sounds wholesome and pure and noble on the front. But really what is happening or what was happening in the uh, True Love weights movement is that there were these, like you mentioned, purity balls, purity contracts. You, uh, a lot of people probably remember people wearing purity rings. Um, a lot of celebrities even would... Where these purity rings pledging their abstinence and purity until marriage, I think Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, uh, Miley Cyrus, just a whole bunch of different celebrities. And so there's all of this enormous pressure to pledge your virginity, not just to save yourself until marriage, but specifically within this uh, true love waits Purity culture movement. It was about pledging your virginity and your purity to your dad, um, because he is essentially the holder of your purity to give that to your future husband at the altar someday. Mm-hmm. And so, the like you mentioned, the purity balls were these, gosh, like you said, the pictures are so disturbing. They made me feel so icky just mm-hmm. looking at them. And I had to, when I was doing a lot of research for that reel, I had to second guess and really look into those pictures cuz i was like there's no way there's no way these are real because they look like wedding photos to me they look like very uncomfortable wedding photos Child bride. um because the girls yes because the the girls in the photos the daughters are in like white uh, ball gowns or white bridal-looking dresses posed with their dads in suits. They're just very strange. The posing is so weird and uncomfortable. But at these purity balls, um, the girls would get dressed up like a bride, and the dad would escort them. There would be basically a lot of these would have like ceremonies where you would um sign these purity contracts. There's photos you can find for that too. But even little girls signing contracts – Saying like you're going to remain pure until marriage. Again, when you don't even know what any of those words mean, you probably right. can't even read yet. <laughs> so yeah. there would be like these just these ceremonies about it and very emotional um, type of events. And so it was just very bizarre. And another thing about purity balls that was really strange to me is that mothers were never allowed to go to those. It was always a father daughter event. It was never if the dad is sick, the mom can go in his place or if it was a single mom or a, you know, a a widow no, it always had to be the dad because the dad is the, you know, the gatekeeper of the daughter's purity. Ugh. That's how it's presented, or at least in my experience and everyone I've talked to who grew up in, in this type of movement. So because your virginity is value, that is like your, and that's what I was taught is like my value lies in my purity. And yeah. if I have my purity, I have everything and if I don't have it, I have nothing. I have nothing to give. Who would who would want you if you don't have your purity? So it it was just so extreme. Like um my mom even would not let me wear tampons because she thought that would take my virginity away. She thought it would yes. I think it's just interesting because there's you're I'm being homeschooled. I'm being in this religious cult, um, you know, away from society, just very immersed in this one line of thinking and But even the adults, so the people homeschooling me, the people responsible for my education thought that a tampon (laughs) would take your virginity, you know, so that's concerning, you know, as a parent. Now, that's very concerning to think like these are the types of parents who have these types of ideologies and are so uneducated themselves that um, they're presenting all of this misinformation to their own children. So it's just this this hamster wheel of nonsense that that really builds up over time. But it's a nasty movement.
0: I definitely want to talk about the education or lack thereof. But first, I just have to say that purity in itself, to me, is a disgusting term because it puts the worth of a woman on her genitals. And it just Mm – it's so demeaning. Now, Mm -hmm. this is not to say that I don't think birth is beautiful and miraculous and maybe even sacred. But when you are distilling down a woman's worth based on who has touched her her genitals – I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with you saying you are pure and you are not pure. Like what is the opposite of pure? Dirty, unclean. Mm -hmm. To even just say that a woman is unclean because of that, it totally puts these women in these categories that will mess with their head so much because how about the people who were assaulted? Are they dirty? Mm -hmm. Are they unclean according to their standards? Yes. In yes. fact, there was a prophet, a Mormon prophet, who said it is better to die fighting for one's virtue than to have lived and lost it. So he is telling women who are being sexually assaulted, it is better if you die than let that man rape you. Wow. It's so disgusting. Wow. And there's been countless stories I've seen it in the comments. People have DM'd me. Of women saying, I was in that category. I was assaulted before I even understood what was going on. And once I got to those purity culture lessons, I realized that I was less than, that I was unclean, Mm -hmm. that I was unworthy, that I wasn't pure, that no one's going to want me, that I'm a chewed piece of gum. And they didn't have a choice in that. So when we talk about purity, just the word itself is so loaded. And I don't think people recognize that on one side, purity sounds all light and bubbly and pretty and great, but you have to look at the opposite side of that for the women who aren't considered that by their church or their leaders or their dad, which gross. First of all, if purity even exists, which I don't agree with it at all, even if it does, it does not belong to anyone. It does not belong to your father. It belongs to you. Whatever you want to do with your body is what you should do with your body. Now... With that comes the burden of education and the burden of understanding what could happen when you choose to use your body in a certain way. So even when it comes down to menstruating, it should be your decision if you want to wear a tampon, if you want to wear a menstrual cup, if you want to use pads, it should be your decision if you want to use birth control, but all of those things can only be a possibility if you are educated on your options. And a lot of that doesn't happen when you get into these extreme purity culture religions, especially with the Christian fundamentalism. Now, I specifically had an education on what a menstrual cycle was i understood like when i got my period i was super young like 10 <laughs> my mom explained everything but then i also had a very 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 uncomfortable talk with my dad which i'm like why is my dad the one giving me this conversation yeah very uncomfortable um especially if you guys know my history but i was aware of what was going on now some of these groups they don't even tell the girls what a period is and they literally think they're bleeding to death. And that's terrifying. So I want to hear from you, Kendra, what your education was like around menstrual cycles, around your anatomy, around procreation, all of that.
1: Yeah. So one thing I was going to mention real quick based on like just a follow up to what you were saying is I've had a lot of followers DM me too about the shame that they felt within the purity culture, but also A lot of them were, you know, sexually abused by their own dads. So -hmm. their dads and the church are giving them this message of, Hey, you are nothing unless you are pure while at the same time being the one responsible for ripping that away from them. What a mixed message and what an absolute nightmare for these girls having to process. Like, what did I do to make my own dad do this to me Mm -hmm. and make me unworthy of? love or you know a marriage or a husband or, or anything like that um and then of course when when we're taught that it's our own fault for losing our virginity or being raped or molested then we don't report it who wants to report that when you are told you're the one at fault no mm-hmm. one's going to believe you or they're going to shame you and say exactly. that you did something to bring it upon yourself so it's this vicious cycle again of Abuse And it's just perpetuated because it is on the responsibility of the woman to gatekeep a man's desires. And, you know, it's taught that women are responsible because our sexual urges are less and a man can't control themselves because Mm -hmm. their sexual urges are higher. So when we're put into a situation where a man is trying to force himself on us, it's our job to stop him because our drive is less. You know, we were even taught that women don't really desire sex. What we desire is love. And so right. we don't actually have sexual desires. We desire love. So anything that we feel around sex is because we feel lonely and unvalued. And therefore we are seeking sex to fill a void. Whereas the men are seeking sex because that's a normal thing for them to do. So again, it's just mm-hmm. so, it's so twisted and um, manipulated to just kind of fit whatever patriarchal, you know, agenda that they wanted to teach these children like myself and
0: you. And not to mention that also leaves room for the non-education of female sexual pleasure, where I didn't know it was possible for a woman to orgasm until senior year of high school. I just thought it was a guy thing. I was like, oh, guys do that. Guys masturbate. Yeah, Women can masturbate. That's a thing. I <laughs> had no idea.
1: Yeah, I didn't either.
0: Yeah, because
1: all of the focus is put on men. Exactly. That's the thing a man does. Back to your question a minute ago, you asked um, about how I was taught about menstruation or mm-hmm. reproduction, things like that. And I... I wasn't taught either. I remember the first question for me that ever came up to my mom was, I was helping like a lot of fundamentalist families. We we drove a 15 passenger van, right? Real classy for all of us kids. So I remember like my parents came home from grocery shopping. We had this huge van just filled with groceries. So we were unloading it. And I came across like a big pack of pads. And so I'm like carrying stuff in. I asked my mom and I was like, are you having a baby? Cause I thought they were diapers. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> and i was like i was probably close to 13 at that time yeah um and because i think i had my first period when i was thir- like midway through my 13th year and uh-huh. so even at that point i didn't know what was going on or, or what it was and so when i asked that question i think my mom mentioned something like no it's th- you know at some point you you'll start bleeding and then you'll need pads or, or whatever but that was pretty much the extent of the education i didn't know anything about that as far as reproduction i grew up on a dairy goat farm we had all kinds of animals so i i knew about reproduction about animals from that point of view but definitely never got i never received a sex talk or a reproductive talk at all i, I may have mm-hmm. mentioned it on our last interview but um i did go to college my senior year of high school which is a little Weird, if you think about how how strict I was raised, but my mom enrolled in all of the same college classes that I took. (laughs) And so we took the same classes my first semester of college. And one of those classes was anatomy and physiology. And so in that class, we started learning about like some reproductive organs and things like that. And oh, my God, that was so embarrassing. Because I mean, imagine taking that and hearing that as a really sheltered child with your mom right next to you but also oh. <laughs> it was embarrassing because i felt like i felt like i was so far behind everyone as far as just like a basis of knowledge uh-huh. going into that class i had no freaking clue <laughs> so it was just really embarrassing really embarrassing and then like you mentioned same with masturbation we were taught that uh every time you masturbate god kills a kitten and so what <laughs> mm-hmm. now that was more directed towards like boys because right. again like you said like girls can masturbate I how <laughs> like why why would i though like i also yeah. thought like when i got married that i could go my whole marriage without sex because i was so scared and ashamed to ever engage in something like that mm. that i really genuinely thought like no i'll be fine like i can just like somehow get out of it I can't because like, oh, no. i was just i had no desire because i i just thought it was the worst i don't know i just thought it was the worst thing but in these in this like purity culture it's maintained like sex in your marriage is this beautiful like yeah. god-like euphoric experience and guess what it's not When you have no education, um, no, no knowledge, no realistic view of what that actually looks like, which translates to, like you said, a lot of shame. But I've, I've talked to married couples who grew up in purity culture and they struggle, not just the women, but the men struggle too in that department because it's like part of your subconscious belief system. So even on a conscious level, if you're attracted to your partner, that doesn't mean you can perform in the bedroom when there's all of these layers and layers of shame and yeah. disgust about yourself because of the t- the purity teachings on both sides, men and women.
0: Yeah, and that's the stuff that lingers. that's the lasting effects that a lot of people don't recognize unless they're really willing to take inventory of how they truly feel about sexual activity. And again, I just want to point out here that if you are choosing to wait to have sex until marriage, I more power to you. I mean, hats off. I salute you. That's awesome. What do you think? Yeah. If you, the only reason you're waiting to have sex until marriage is because you think it makes you a dirty person. If you think that God is going to look down upon you or you're going to go to hell for it or. Those are the things that I have a problem with because I think that is manipulation, coercion, and it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't serve you if it's not really your choice made from a very level-headed place. If you want to wait to have sex until marriage because you're worried about STDs, pregnancy, absolutely, makes total sense. I don't blame you at all. But what we're advocating here for is teaching children and adults about sex in a healthy way so they can make an educated decision based on what's best for them. So teaching children about STDs and what can happen if you have multiple partners. Teaching women about their cycles. I've mentioned this before. I'll say it in because it's relevant. As an egg donor, the 1st that was the first time I really understood a woman's cycle. I didn't even know that if you're on a regular cycle, there's only about six days that you can actually get pregnant. That's useful information, especially for a teenager. Wait, I'm an egg donor, too. I didn't know you <gasps> did that. Shut up. I swear. When did you do yours? What? Uh, let's see,
1: like 2012, 2013, somewhere in there.
0: Me too. Wow, we're egg donor sisters. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. That's so awesome. So you know when they they sit you down and they're like this is how your cycle works and then this hormone comes up and then this one goes down and then that triggers the ovulation I'm and like, then that just I've
1: never heard of her.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what any of that was. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. And when I was looking at it, my jaw was open. I'm like 21, 22, just floored and amazed at the female cycle. Yeah. It is incredible. Yeah. And all of the advances that they have made with modern medicine to help women get pregnant is just amazing. So it's I'm incredible. sitting there going, why am I only learning about this now? This would be very helpful to know as a teenager, especially if, if a teenager is growing up in the abstinence-only purity culture where they don't have the education, they are only told don't have sex, which... I Mm -hmm. want you to read those stats in a minute. But when a child is presented with one option, which is don't have sex, chances are they're going to have sex and then they're not going to understand that they can get pregnant or hey, you might be ovulating right now. It's probably best to not have sex or this is what a condom is and this is how you use it or here are your multitude of different types of birth controls that are Mm -hmm. available to you if you want to access that. So it's just about allowing people the options and the education so they can make decisions that are right for them. So I would love it if you would let us in on those statistics that you had mentioned. You did a video on your Instagram.
1: Yeah, I I wrote them down so I wouldn't um, misconstrue them. And I'll definitely send you the sources in case anyone and and that those are also on my videos as well. Yeah. One thing I thought was crazy high was 81 percent of Evangelicals and quote unquote born again Christians believe that premarital sex is immoral. 81%. Yeah. So this isn't specific to just Mormons. This isn't specific to just fundamentalists. Like this is a massive group of people who identify as born again, born again Christians Mm -hmm. think that it's immoral to have premarital sex. Um, so that shame again is just so widespread. And don't get me started, but the ways that that movement has infiltrated our politics Mm -hmm. are just the very DNA and fabric of America is so complex. Yeah. But another 40% of total Americans. So 40% of all Americans, not just born again Christians, but 40%, 47% of Americans think that girls should wait until marriage. I'm not sure what this statistic is on boys. I just, that was the statistic that was provided was that 40, almost half of Americans thinks that girls should wait until marriage. And I would, I wonder how many think that boys should wait. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. just, it's just interesting. Another thing I found interesting and I spoke about in my video is because I was curious. I was like, okay, so did the purity culture Movement, the true love weights movement. Did it work? Like, Mm -hmm. did it, did it do what it set out to do? Especially considering, like, our country has spent, like, I think between, uh, let me see, 1998 and 2016, our federal government dedicated more than $2 billion toward in federal funding, taxpaying dollars to abstinence movements, abstinence education, abstinence movements. So I thought, like, we're supposed to have separation of church and state. You know, there's the freedom of religion, but there should also be the freedom to be free of religion, as in, don't be taking my tax dollars to do that, please. Thank mm-hmm. you. It's crazy high numbers. And then another statistic I talked about was um during George W. Bush's presidency alone, funding for abstinence programs increased by 465%, which is a massive, like, crazy scale to think about so i mean this directive and this money is coming from our president so this isn't again this isn't just a backwoods arkansas fundamentalist cult who believes this way this is a half of americans and 81 percent of born again christians believe this way and so how does that affect our law enforcement police structure when girls you'll see now when girls go to report crimes of abuse or rape or sexual crimes of any kind how often are they believed how often are reports taken and followed up on and taken Mm -hmm. seriously because it's you know, none of that is prioritized. It's, well, what did you do to put yourself in that situation? Where were you at? How late at night were you out? Where were Mm -hmm. you, you know, how were you you dressed? Uh, Who were you with? Yeah, exactly. Were you drunk? Should that even matter though? You know, so there's all of these factors that just are so layered. Again, layered into our DNA within the United States that it's not surprising that to me that almost half of Americans think, think that girls should wait until marriage because- It, it, you know, everywhere you look, it's very, it's very common. It's kind of just stuck into all of these different areas of our lives, not just churches. Back to looking at if the purity culture movement was effective. The national campaign to prevent teen pregnancy estimated that 80% of unmarried 18 to 29 year olds who identified as being evangelical have had sex. And it was actually a higher rate of premarital pregnancy and HPV in women who had pledged their purity and done the purity balls, all of that, mm. a much higher percentage. I didn't write that number down, so I'm sorry about that. But um, then their peers who had not done it. So I think we, what we've learned and which is to us like a no brainer is that if you're, t- if you're not giving any sex, sex education except abstinence, that's not going to make kids not have sex. Mm-hmm. Even though it's taught like you're supposed to ignore those urges t- as a teenager, you're not supposed to be having those urges until you're married, which is not even physically possible like no but it also doesn't work because kids are still going to have sex regardless of the shame that they're feeling and they're going to have unsafe sex because Mm -hmm. you're not teaching them about the repercussions of unsafe sex or unprotected sex things like that and so of course things like um, STIs, HPV pregnancies are going to be astronomically higher in people who don't use contraceptives or safe sex practices. So it was actually counterproductive, the whole purity culture movement, um, when we should have really just been teaching children our own biology and procreation and safe ways of having sex or um, consent even is a big one that wasn't yes. taught. And so when you just ignore all of that, it perpetuates these very dark and dangerous ways that kids can go, both on a male or female side of things. Yeah. Um, and then that's not even tapping into how does the purity culture affect our LGBTQ plus communities? Yep. I have many family members. That are lgbtq and just the conversations with them about the the ways that they would just beg god for forgiveness Mm -hmm. for having these thoughts and just feeling however i felt being ashamed of my body or my appearance or being responsible I have family members who got that a 1000 times worse, I think, because of their, you know, how they identify. And so it's just it's so dangerous. And that leads to a lot of um, self harm and suicide and just really, sometimes irreversible damage. Um, even after you get out and after you've been out a while that like you said a minute ago that doesn't go away it just it continues to be there if if you can get into therapy and start unpacking some of that that's great but that doesn't mean that it just suddenly goes away or that you're you're healed and you're better and you've unlearned everything and you know unfortunately it's a
0: lot deeper than that yes praise kendra that was so awesome and that's my sermon (laughs) amen (laughs) i'm so glad that you brought up your experience speaking with people who are in the lgbtq community i admittedly don't have a lot of experience with that which is why i don't feel comfortable speaking for that group of people but yes just to give a little bit more context and some concrete evidence to what you were talking about as far as teen pregnancies in utah we had i think 300 kids in our high school but we're pulling from a 30 mile radius so it's Very small town, and there were many teen pregnancies. It was a thing, in fact, it was also a thing for girls to disappear for nine months and go live with a family member and just come back as if nothing happened Mm -hmm. because of the shame that it would bring their family. That I mean, imagine first of all, getting pregnant, not really understanding maybe you do understand, I don't know, I can't say, but if you didn't really understand how you were able to get pregnant or whoops, this thing happened to me, right. you learn that you are growing a child. And then you are told your only option is to abort the child, which God forbid in Mormonism is like hell to the no, or their thing is, we'll just give it away to a family. hundred percent. That's what I grew up with. I remember very, very clearly Having those thoughts as a teenager, like, oh, please, I just have to make it till I'm out of high school. Please, I don't want to get pregnant. Guys, I hadn't even let a man touch me. And I was (laughs) begging to not get pregnant because I was so terrified I would become a statistic of one of these girls because I knew that if I were to get pregnant... I would have to give it away. That is what you did in the Mormon culture, at least, was you don't have an option. You're putting the baby up for adoption. And that's just what it is. And then no matter how have, old you are, yeah, or... when you're uh, like a teenager, if you're out of high school, I think maybe parents would be a little bit different. Of course, it just depends on your family. But and then you have to marry whoever you got pregnant by, or at least that's yeah, what we usually talking. that's what you're supposed <laughs> yeah. to do, even if it's your rapist. Oh, What? That's not okay. Mm. That's what they would say? You would have to marry someone who would rape yeah, you? Yeah,
1: because you brought it upon yourself.
0: <gasps> no. What were you doing to
1: ask for? It? Yeah, so then, yeah, I've, I've known, I've definitely known women who've had to do that.
0: Oh my gosh, that is awful. I can't, I can't even fathom.
1: It's all awful, whether you have to give it away, give the baby away, or, you know, whether you have to marry you're rapist, whatever, like it's there's just no there's no winning for the woman on right. this. It's like the woman's the one being oppressed. And the th- the thing about purity culture is they really tried to find ways of making the oppressed women be on board with the movement. And, you know, the purity balls, the purity rings, those were ways of getting those type of women suffering from the patriarchy to be on board and supportive of it.
0: Yeah, they they force you to be okay with it. So on the other side of this, when I moved to Portland for my senior year of high school, which I talk about a lot because it was just such a black and white difference between the cultures. And so I always it's always relevant in conversation. But when I got up there, there were no teen pregnancies. It wasn't even a thing. In fact, calling people sluts and whores was also not a thing because Mm. people were understanding and aware and educated about sex to the point where Uh, parents were putting their teens on birth control because they understood that they were in relationships and they were going to be having sex. And it was so normalized. And just the level of judgment that I remember noticing in Utah is so extreme. And then experiencing the total opposite just because there's a level of acceptance, understanding, and education. It was shocking to me because I remember in fifth grade people calling this girl a slut because she had kissed somebody and I was on board with it because that's what we did. We were like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that she's such a slut (laughs) kissing somebody. And I mean, (laughs) the girls that you knew were having sex in high school forget it. Like you don't want to hang out with them. They could bring you down the road of temptation. Yeah, it was just (laughs) it was so serious. And then going to Oregon and it was so normal. I was just like, whoa, this is so interesting. And I mean, I was still a virgin at the time. And I just remember thinking, huh, maybe there are other options (laughs) other than Guilt and shame and all of that. But, yeah. of course, I couldn't even allow myself to go there because I was such a good Mormon. And I was like, I'm yes, not going to sin were. ever. <laughs> I did. I did sin. <laughs> How'd that work out?
1: <laughs> Look at you now, just sinning. Just Look sinning left sinning. and right. And I'm such a sinner. <laughs> with those sle- with those shoulders <laughs> with showing my, right now.
0: <laughs> with my porn shoulders. There was a, a prophet right, who said right. that women who show their shoulders are walking pornography. Yeah, we are. Hold wow. on. Let me. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Get those shoulders You know, on, I'm girl. feeling a
1: little too conservative right now. <laughs> Pop this. No, I'm just kidding. Do you remember when the HPV vaccine came out? Now, I grew up, we weren't ever vaccinated. I didn't get my first vaccine, of course, until I was in college when I started nursing school and I had mm-hmm. to get caught up on like every vaccine that I was supposed to have since a baby. I remember my parents and leaders talking about the HPV vaccine when it came out and they, everyone called it the whore vaccine. <gasps> that was what every, yes, that was the name of uh, that. That's all I heard it referred to as a whore vaccine because it's like, why else? Why else would you need to get your slutty little
0: teenager this
1: thing? I'm like, are you kidding me?
0: (gasps) Oh, my gosh. I remember getting that in high school, but I don't. Yeah, it seemed like I was behind on it. And when I moved to Portland, they were like, yeah, you need to get this. And we're like, oh, okay." we didn't really I did not know what it meant. I was just like, oh, more letters that I don't know. Okay, here we go. Let's do
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Yeah. And regardless of your stance on vaccines, that's really not the point uh, why I brought it up. It's more about like any opportunity to shame or assign like slut or whore to something to condemn something to make someone feel like repelled by it. It, you know every opportunity they they mm-hmm. definitely took every opportunity on those
0: <laughs> yeah and you know what something just popped into my mind and let's get personal here guys you're about to know a lot about me um okay good i'm glad it's about
1: you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> spill the tea i just want to speak to the fact again of the no education thing so growing up It was kind of like you see on Mean Girls. If you have sex, you will get chlamydia and die, right? It's a, it's a (laughs) whole joke. But when I saw that, I was like, yeah, uh huh. I had no idea it was a joke because we were basically taught that if you have sex at all, you will get all the STDs and it will kill you or you'll just be ruined forever and that's even worse than just having the chewed gum now you're a chewed gum with warts so sorry that's graphic but (laughs) i just have to speak to the fact that when you don't have quality education around things like stds there's this stigma that comes with it and this extra level of shame so for example The first time that I had sex, when I lost my virginity, first of all, it was taken from me. I didn't want to have sex. It happened. And that lovely man gave me chlamydia. So here I am. The first time I have sex, I get an STD. And I, or an STI, I think... I felt so much shame. I was just a Mm. puddle on the floor. I was just crying when they gave me that news. I was like, I didn't even want this. I felt so guilty. I felt ashamed. I felt dirty. I felt all the things. I didn't know that you can get rid of it. Yeah. I didn't know that was one of the ones that you just take a pill and then you're fine.
1: Right. You thought it was forever.
0: I thought it was forever. So if I would have known that, I would have been able to say, okay, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, it sucks. And it's not okay that that happened. But I was so uneducated on it and I think she was even trying to tell me on the phone the poor person who had to call and give me the news that it was going to be fine I didn't hear any of it because I was just so Aww. taken back and also I had just left Mormonism I had just decided okay yeah. I'm not doing so it was this. like reinforcing everything that you
1: yep. were taught um, and making you question mm-hmm. I'm sure Yeah. oh my god. this is what I deserve Ugh.
0: this is what I deserve right. for going out doing my own thing I yep, put myself in this sins. position with a man who wasn't Mormon, who clearly didn't respect my boundaries. That's my fault for doing that. And it's really destructive. So even, even just understanding what STIs and what they are and how you can contract them and how you can treat them is so important to teach people because it's not just the people who are having consensual sex. It's the people who are being subjected to it And it's not their fault that something happens. Mm -hmm. So I just had to put that out there as another concrete evidence that this is harmful. And education is the key. I feel like that should just be the name of the episode. Education. (laughs) Education is key. That's it. And and you take like the,
1: you know, the more kids are forbidden from doing something, the more it's attractive to them. And it's like, you know, taboo and interesting and like Mm -hmm. the more they want to do it. So we all know this, like the more you educate your children or educate people about any, any type of topic, but especially these types of things where they haven't had the experience or it's kind of forbidden, like forbidden, and, you know, uh, and lust and all of mm-hmm. those dirty things. Then it's like the more they're going to gravitate towards it. So when you start educating and providing like, hey, this is the actuality of it. This is what it looks like. Here's the facts. Here's what can happen. Here's how to prevent it. Then it's yes. like, oh, OK, now I have it kind of takes like that. Um, grandiose thinking about this experience out of your head and really kind of level sets, you know, kids into understanding more of of the repercussions, how to prepare themselves better and then again, I've mentioned it earlier, but consent, not just with your daughters, but you know, I've had that conversation with my son as well about um receiving consent giving consent and that mm-hmm. you're allowed to retract consent at any time. But yes. again, that's not taught as part of it either. So like you said, even if your boundaries are being pushed and you're in a situation where, you know, you're like, well, I I told them yes earlier, or maybe I, you know, kissed them, them back mom. and they thought that it was permission, then I have to go all of the way with this. Yes. And gosh, what a terrible position we put our kids in when we don't educate them. And We do really do them a disservice.
0: Mm hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up because I really wanted to touch on that. When you are told that, which again, is not inherently bad. It's the way that it's weaponized against these kids. But when you are saying absolutely no one can touch you, just the abstinence only thing. If anyone touches you, it's wrong. It's a sin. You need to repent, whatever that is. That leaves no room for the nuance of boundaries. So, mm-hmm. for example, once someone is touched, they don't know, well, I can have a boundary where you can only touch my breasts or I I can have a boundary where maybe you can feel me here, but penetration is off limits. There's no right. nuance because they don't really understand that you can have those nuances of opinions and those what makes you comfortable or what makes you uncomfortable also going back to the mm-hmm. education on women and pleasure if you don't understand that a woman needs to be aroused to accept Something into her, it can be really painful. And she may not know that she needs to be stimulated. She may not know how to do that. And a lot of people don't, even when they get married and they wait till marriage to have sex, they're just like, how do we make this work? Is it supposed to hurt? I don't really know because I'm too afraid to look it up on the internet because I might run into porn and then I'm sending it again. And it's just this cycle of not understanding your body and not being in tune with your body because again, Mm -hmm. dissociation. When someone tells you that you are wrong for having these sexual urges, that you are sinful, that you are unworthy, you distance yourself from your body. You don't want to be integrated into it. So when you start having those arousing feelings and you're married and it's supposed to be okay, it's so hard to just say, oh, I accept this. It's hard to get back into yourself, to tune in, to even allow yourself to ask the question of, does this feel good? Do I like this? (laughs) What am I supposed to like? It's just you don't have any sort of grounds to understand what's going on, and you don't know what is even an option. (laughs) And so, a lot of people do end up turning to porn because they don't know that there are other resources out there, which we all know that porn is not realistic. And then you have Other things that start to influence a sex life that maybe you don't want because you thought that Mm -hmm. that's how things worked, especially with guys. I think it happens more frequently with guys when they they turn to porn and they're like, oh, well, that's how sex works. You just shove it in and it's all great. (laughs) And the girl clearly likes it. And that's how (laughs) she's supposed to react. And I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. Sure, it can give you ideas if you already have a healthy understanding of what sex should be, but when you're using that as your full set of education, it can Mm -hmm. be really dangerous and give you unrealistic expectations. We had on an ex-Mormon sex therapist, I say ex-Mormon because she was excommunicated for telling the truth to her clients about masturbation, which is masturbation is so normative, we have seen fetuses in the womb masturbating like that's how normal it is for someone to masturbate it's a part of your biology she was faced with losing her license by giving false information around masturbation because she was an lds therapist or being excommunicated by the church for teaching things that they didn't agree with she was excommunicated so i did two episodes with her and it was so enlightening and she said watching porn is like (laughs) learning how to have sex by watching porn is like learning how to drive by watching Fast and the Furious. You have to understand that it's not realistic. And yeah, it may be fun. And there's some like, oh, I want to try that. But you can't rely on that for education.
1: What they say about Fast and the Furious, don't try this at home. The same can be said for <laughs> <Don't> porn. <laughs> <this at> home.
0: <laughs> yeah. But going back to the boundaries thing. So when you are using outside sources that may not be the best to help you understand what's going on, what what are erogenous zones? What are things that I can play with that feel good to me? Maybe I do like to be choked like I saw in that porn video, or maybe that is so triggering to me, I don't want anyone getting near my neck. So when you learn about what boundaries are, and you learn that you have options, and you learn that you can say no, Mm -hmm. it's so powerful. It's so, so powerful to take full responsibility for your body, and not even responsibility, ownership, taking ownership of your body, and setting a boundary for the people that you are being intimate with. And I'm so glad you brought up with your son too, teaching boys and men how to respect boundaries and have their own boundaries, too. They need to have their own boundaries as well. But when you come from a culture, especially like we were just talking about where all of the pressure is put on the woman. Oftentimes, men feel like they have ownership of the person who is being Mm -hmm. intimate with them, and they don't understand how to respect boundaries. So I think it goes both ways. We need to educate everyone on boundaries, consent, anatomy, the nuances within boundaries what can feel good, how to arouse a woman so it's not painful, how to enjoy sex as a man, how to connect, how to have beautiful, sacred, mind-blowing. Okay, we get it, (laughs) Shalise. No, I'm just kidding. How to have amazing sex (laughs) like I (laughs) do. Sorry, Jonathan's cringing right now. She's like, do you see my skin is glowing? <laughs> I'm glowing. Because She's like, I have this is amazing- what healthy sex life looks like. <laughs> Take notes. I love it. I love it. No, it just, it really can be beautiful. So I think that there is room for healthy sex education. And teaching that it can be a beautiful, amazing, loving thing between two people who love each other. It's not one or the other. You don't have to teach Mm -hmm. never have sex because it's a sacred thing. You can also teach that, yes, it is a sacred thing when you find someone who you really love and you want to share yourself with. And you can teach them the, the beauty behind the energetic connection and how it can be so amazing. And you can also teach them you know what, if you want to explore, explore. If you want to have multiple partners to find out what you like and what you don't like, that's okay, too. But just know that there are options. Right.
1: Another thing about the abstinence movement and one of the dangers of abstinence is that we all have different definitions of what abstinence is. So for some people, that's just penetration. For some people, it's oral. For some people, it's touching. So there's so many gray areas and different definitions of what that looks like. And no one teaches it the same. And Mm -hmm. so again, it muddies the water and sends a lot of mixed messages. And again, just the education piece is so important because there's so many variations of what abstinence truly is. Right. Uh, from a federal level all the way down to a home, what you're being taught at home. So abstinence isn't just a cut and dry definition because everyone has their own perception of what that looks like for them.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction. Again, that just goes back to the boundaries and understanding what you're comfortable and okay with and sticking to that because it's, it's nobody's decision except for yours how someone touches you and when someone touches you and if someone touches you. That's exactly right. No matter how old you are. Yeah. And yeah, along that same train of thought is like,
1: people have tried to have arguments about purity culture. Well, we, we believe in that because it's protecting our daughters, but. We're not protecting our daughters when we don't educate them, when we don't empower them, when Mm -hmm. we teach them to disconnect from their bodies, from their intuition, from their voice, from their pleasure, from their body signals. That's not doing our daughters any favors. Yeah. We're setting them up to accept abuse and not understand consent and to just take whatever the man you know wants to take from them so we're not protecting them by telling them to wait until marriage if you want to wait until marriage like you said by all means that's your prerogative but why are we teaching why is our emphasis and why are so many of our i say our as being like formal fundamentalist is you know why is it so heavily focused about a girl a really young child's genitalia that yeah. to me is concerning <laughs> alone. And, you know, that may be a topic for another day, but the connection between that and, you know, pedophilia and how much that is rampant in those communities. Yeah. That's no, that's by design. That's not by accident. And so maybe we take some of the attention off of our daughter's. Uh, genitalia and maybe we educate them and empower yes. them to make those decisions for themselves so we don't put them in compromising situations and then blame them for it and then instead yes. of being the victim they're considered the perpetrator and that's insanity to me
0: absolutely agree and just to button this up it is overwhelming the evidence that i have personally seen after doing i think this is my 84th or 85th interview the the more there is this tight grip on, quote, purity and virtue and chastity on young women, the more abuse is rampant in those cultures. And I've seen the whole spectrum. I've seen it from Mormonism all the way to the Amish culture. The more you restrict a woman's body, the more you tell her that purity is her only virtue, the more pressure that you put on these women the more abuse happens it's Mm -hmm. just so abundantly clear to me yeah it's undeniable yeah so that's why we want to do these episodes because we just want to speak to all the different ways that things can be different and all the ways that women can like you said become more empowered and also become safer because Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just crazy to me that we're talking. or we're blaming four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, or telling them your virginity is everything. And they're just like, huh? I think it's more important to give them language around this is your body and nobody should be touching your body here or here, helping them understand but not laying on the shame and the guilt because it's Mm -hmm. going to protect them from perpetrators. We don't need to tell them, about virginity, right, when they're four years old, but we can give them language and help them understand your body is yours. If you don't want to be touched, if you even if you don't want mommy to give you a hug, you tell me and I'm okay with that. This is your space. And of course, if mommy needs to put you in the car seat because mommy knows that this is for your own safety. (laughs) Right. You know, we don't have to be pushovers, but we have to explain to them that they own themselves and that no one can touch them without their permission because that will just that will create the safety not saying don't wear that little dress four year old because your knees are showing and that's right. sinful and it's going to cause men to sin. It's just the, the focus needs to shift to protecting our children versus blaming our children. A hundred percent. And
1: I, that just made me think of like, even now, and I know this is controversial, so um, I won't get too into it, but with the recent laws changing around abortion and things like that as well, um, some of the argument always falls on like, well, if you, why are you having sex if you didn't want to get pregnant? Right. Again, it's always about, it's always the woman's fault. It's mm-hmm. not about, hey, as a man, why are you ejaculating in someone you don't want a baby with?
0: Exactly. Why is that not the
1: conversation? But that's not that's never the conversation. It's, you know, why as a woman, why are you having sex? Why 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 didn't you do this? Or why are you doing that? Once again, we're responsible for carrying the babies of our rapists. Yeah. Or you know, now our abusers are having you know, more rights than we do when it comes to those types of things. So it's just so frustrating um, and even more important now than ever to empower girls and yes. women to, to shut that shit down when it mm-hmm. comes up and to say no and to say no at any time. And don't stop reporting it when it does happen because there are good people out there that will listen and take your reports seriously. But again, if we're not educating girls that these resources exist or that this help exists or that there is someone who will believe them, then we're setting them up for just these horrible lifelong consequences and trauma that just compounds over time. And so, yeah. So I think now is it's so important that we're continuing to educate and empower women to take control of our bodies and decisions because our federal government's taking other decisions away from us. So we're more so responsible now than ever. And we, you know, we have to, we have to look out for each other and educate each other and not just our children. But as women, I feel like we hold, you know, as a woman, I feel a lot of responsibility around sharing the knowledge that I do have with other women and girls who want to understand these things better. So yeah,
0: Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. It's so important. And I'm glad you brought up resources. I'm going to dig into the archives and find some resources that Natasha Helfer, the marriage and family therapist, sex therapist, had mentioned. I will also link both of her episodes in the description if you guys are interested in watching that. And yeah, this has been so great. Kendra, I could just do a million more episodes with you and maybe I will. I hope so. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for coming on and sharing. It's been awesome. And I want to make sure that everyone has all of your socials so they can follow and support you. So your brand spanking new YouTube channel. Everyone go check it out. It's so shiny and new. It's so new. (laughs) At Kendra Lee Bryan. I'll link it below. That's right. And her uh, Instagram is the. Kendra B. Her TikTok is Kendra Lee Bryan. Her website, kendraleebryan.com, where you can buy her merch and support her in that way. And do you have any other final thoughts? Oh, Linda, listen. I need your Linda, listen real quick. Oh, sh- dang. I didn't even think about it ahead of time. <laughs> great. Uh, That's okay. You can use, You can reuse anything that you've said in the episode. It's all been great. Linda, listen.
1: We are tired of gatekeeping our sexuality for men. Let's educate our men to respect women. And our boundaries and empower women to set boundaries and be able to maintain them. Thank you so much.
0: Beautiful. I agree. That was great. And you came up with that on the spot. That was amazing.
1: <laughs> sometimes the brain be braining.
0: <laughs> and sometimes a they
1: don't.
0: <laughs> I need a t shirt that says that. Sometimes the brain be braining,
1: sometimes it don't. <laughs> sometimes it don't. Earlier, when you said you wore the shame shirt, I was like, yeah. you. Ne- I was gonna say it. I was like, you need a shirt that says, no shame, like no shame, no shame in my shame shirt, shirt game or something. <laughs> yes, but it's like instead of the shame shirt, it's the no shame shirt, and it's like super low cut. Yeah, um, yeah, I support that. That'll be on my idea. merch store. Don't worry, I'll that's make you one. That's such a
0: good idea. Yeah, we've been trying to think of merch <laughs> ideas, guys. If you have any, oh, there you go. If you have any yeah. opinions on what you would like to see in our very first Cults to Consciousness merch store, let us know because we're starting to brainstorm. But I love that idea. Um, all right. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much again, Kendra. Thank I'm you. sure we- we'll do it again.
1: And we will. And your viewers are amazing. Um, just wanted to say real quick, thank you to all of your subscribers who have come from this channel over to mine. It, there's seriously not a single day where I don't get tagged or a message from someone who says, Hey, I saw you on Cults to Consciousness Yay. or Um, you know, we I loved seeing you on there, or we love Shalise and Jonathan. Like it's always uh, your name is probably the top word in my like like in my Aww. dms <laughs> I think. and so but your your viewers are always so supportive and lovely and i feel very fortunate to have connected with you and your viewers as well so thank you all Aww. i appreciate y'all yeah y'all made my life better so much so better much. well we're <laughs> yeah. obviously
0: friends now so you're not getting rid of me obviously we text and stuff <laughs> we're bffs so guys definitely go check out kendra's channel she's going to be doing amazing stuff over there and thanks so much for watching if you want to support the channel you can like and subscribe become one of our subscribers to get us closer to 100k that'd be amazing and if you want to further support you can become a patron at patreon.com slash cults to consciousness we are about to within this next week do our first live exclusive q a with patrons only so jump over there if you want to be a part of that our newest patrons sue sherry alex and andrea thank you so much for your support and if you like this episode i will link kendra's other episode and another one here that you'll want to check out and until next time follow your highest excitement to be conscious and be well thanks for listening if you like what you hear it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on youtube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility you can also find me on social media at Colts to Consciousness or reach out by email at Consciousness at gmail.com.